you are now tuned in to the Windy City Benders Podcast. This is WCVP. All right, welcome to episode 98 of the Windy City Bender Podcast. We are calling this one the Eagle because guess what? The Eagles hit has landed for the show. <laughs> yeah. We just had a the incredible, yeah, we just had an incredible interview with Hockey Hall of Famer, hockey legend, Ed Belfour. Ed Belfour. Yeah. Um, great, great guy. Absolutely a pleasure to talk with. Gets into yeah. some great If you guys stories. get the chance, definitely give him a call, chat him up. He's a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, he, he gave some great insight. Uh, we heard a lot about his new uh, whiskey company. Yes. Um, and it sounds very, very exciting. Definitely something um, I'll be looking out for. So, I bet you guys won't be able to guess what the name of the whiskey is. You just have to wait till the interview. Yeah. So, um, what's, <laughs> so I didn't kind of didn't think about I was kind of thinking about this as we were getting ready to record just now. Um, today, with this being uploaded, it's officially three years of the Winnie City Banner podcast. No um, shit. Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of crazy that we went from sitting in a little table in Noli's basement using one microphone that could barely pick up everybody to three years later we are talking with one of arguably the greatest goalies in NHL history. One of the, yeah, I mean hands down the greatest undrafted player in our and undrafted goalie in NHL history for yeah. sure. One of the best Blackhawks goalies in history, for sure. <laughs> yeah. God, it's such a shame he, he couldn't win with us. Fuck. There's so many Hawks from his time that they fucking deserved a cup in Chicago. Oh, God, yeah. But uh, – It's it's also crazy to me that, like, for how good he was during a time when there was so many good fucking goalies. <laughs> like, and, yeah, he, he won trophies too. So, it just shows he's fucking awesome. Yeah, so we get into a lot about that kind of stuff with him. Um, so we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, we do got a little bit of Hawks talk going on. Um, just a little bit, something small. Yeah, nothing too something big. small. We'll, we'll start with something really tiny small. Uh, Brett Sieber came out and said today that he is feeling great after his three surgeries, and he's really looking forward to get back on the ice. I'm just wondering if that's just Brent Seward just saying that <laughs> just because he wants to be back yeah. on the ice. And, like, so, maybe he feels like a shit, and he still just wants to be out there. Yeah. Because that's, um, the, that's the, how badass he is. I love him. Take that for what you will. Um, it's going to be interesting, too. Um, just, you don't know if he's just trying to, like, you know, play up to every, the front office that he, he still can play and there's no need yeah. to give up on him yet. But that might all be for nothing because he might have to be playing up to a new front office very soon. Why is that, Jerem? <laughs> Breaking news earlier Not this really. week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> earlier this week, uh, the Blackhawks announced that they have fired team president and CEO John McDonough after 13 years. Well, 12 and a half, but um, yeah. that was very shocking because he helped he came- to orchestrate the three Stanley Cup teams. He helped to come up with the one goal motto. He brought the uh, Hawks convention. Yeah, he he started that. Um, but what made it so shocking is that it was almost like a month of the date where Rocky uh, came out and said that he has faith and he believes in McDonough and Bowman 
to right the ship and get this team back to where they belong. So it's kind of, it's kind of really interesting. Um, there's hasn't more, hasn't really come out yet. I don't think we will ever truly know what happened. I know what happened. What happened? He went on in public without a mask. <laughs> And so Bowman was like, I can't have that in my organization. I mean, Rocky. Oh, no, yeah, Rocky. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, it just goes into, like, what we're going to be talking about, though, is just because, like, what does this mean for Bowman, though? You know? You if, if his buddy's gone. Yeah. Like, don't know. I mean, there's so much – there's so many questions out there right now, and we wish there's more answers. Um, Poets – sent us a little screen grab of uh, Mark Lazarus article in the athletic um, pretty much talking about the tone. Cause I didn't read the whole article, but the tone I got from the little passage he sent, he wasn't happy about the firing. He went on and was basically saying was it McDonough that signed Seabrook to the, his deal. No, it was Bowman. Was it, yes. was it McDonough that yes. you're traded? saying it's, it's Lazarus that was upset with the, right. yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's yeah, yeah. the first Lazarus. step. Yeah. Is it is it is it McDonough's fault at all for any of the signings, any of the trades, yes, or the exactly. way that the def- the defense is steadily playing terribly? Like that's Colleton. But I think we both agree yeah. that even though he's not directly responsible for those issues, he's responsible for correcting the people that are making those problems. And he hasn't like cut off like Bowman from that. So he's responsible through Bowman. And I guess the first move is to get Madonna out of there because apparently he won't do anything about firing Bowman. So they're going to fire McDonough, bring somebody else in. And then I'm assuming it's their job. And their first thing to do is to fire Bowman. It's kind of like when you see like a GM, a new a GM get fired, then it's like yeah. there's choices don't get made about the head coach until the new GM comes in and lets him pick it. Yeah. I don't think any, everybody who's waiting to see Bowman get fired or hear what's going to happen with Bowman it's not going to happen until we have the new team president right now. Um, Daniel Wirtz is going to be the interim president for the team. Uh, he is being put in charge of also finding his essentially his replacement, the, the new team president. Um, so it's just going to have to be kind of a wait and see what direction they go. Um, True. So that kind of also brings up the question that uh, when you're looking at the new guy, what do you want to see? Do you want to see them, go and bring and hire somebody from inside the organization do you want to see them hire somebody outside um i know bowman's name has been tossed out there as a potential promotion up into the team president just get him out of the gm spot yeah honestly like i don't that doesn't bother me like i just i don't know like because the thing that happened was mcdonough came from like the cubs yeah and so it's not like you need hockey knowledge in order to like do that position it's more of a business role yeah so I don't really know what kind of input I would, should give to that because it's just like, it's like, I don't like you could, yeah, sure. Go with a hockey minded player, but then are you now getting too much input from your president and CEO um, on hockey operations that the GM should be responsible for? Or they, or do you go out and get somebody completely out of left field that doesn't have an idea about like the hockey ops, but is a business person and then maybe they go about hiring the wrong kind of GM for like the team. Yeah. You know, there, there was, I wish I wish I saved it and I can remember who did it. Cause I feel so bad, like bringing it up, but there was a, a, a reporter saying that what he would actually love to see is possibly them bringing two guys 
one that would strictly just be business side and then okay. one strictly hockey ops. So he would be in charge of so like, like a co-president? Kind of, yeah. Which I think would be an interesting take. But you're also paying like – a co-branch manager? Yeah. <laughs> Here and then and then what's even crazy though, I'm hearing this kind of stuff like that, and it just shows you what kind of world we live in now that post COVID, post potential billions of dollars of revenue loss for the NHL and the teams, are they gonna be cutting down on their front office and all that? Because you know, like that's kind of stuff you gotta look at too. It's like what are they willing to pay these people too? I mean We'll just have to fight and like wait and see and hopefully it turns out well because like the downhill slide that we're going on is pretty annoying to watch. You know. I also this is a mid season firing. <laughs> I just like in the greatest just, air quotes of all time. Yeah, like it's like what Noli wrote in our <laughs> our group chat. It's just like, man, mid season, can't believe it. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's so underrated. I love it. Um <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's just it's really weird going from one month ago hearing, oh, yeah, nothing's going to change to, yeah. all right, well, we're starting from scratch almost. But you know what? I'm happy for it. I think this team needs a fresh a fresh look. They need a new set of eyes to come in here because the old ways clearly clearly wasn't working. And it's time to bring someone in and possibly, you know, right the ship and not waste the last the, – the prime of Taze and Kane. Yeah. I mean, they're not getting any younger. You can't just keep waiting. You know? Yeah. I know we, t- we say it before. Where we're like, oh, yeah, there's only, you know, five or six years left, but Kane's number keeps going up. But theoretically, you know, he's he's going to be coming to an end pretty quick, quicker oh, than quicker – than, <laughs> Quicker than we'd want. Yeah, quicker than like, we want, yeah. <laughs> but not, like, very quickly. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be here way before we, uh, we realize. True. But that's going to be when he's, like, 45, and he's yeah. only going to put up, like, a 70-point season. And you're going to be like, what's going on with his game? Is he losing yeah. his up? Yeah, yeah. Jager <laughs> was, like, what, 50, 46, 47, you know? Like, yeah. We just, uh, <laughs> can you imagine playing, like, 21 years of hockey for one organization? God. That'd be amazing. That'd be awesome. <laughs> you don't see it now, but it'd be awesome. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so it's kind of hard. I know one topic I wrote down here is, you know, who would you want to possibly see step in that role, but not knowing what exactly they're looking for, it's kind of hard to say. Bill Gates. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One name. Way out of there. One name that keeps getting tossed out is Olchek. A lot of people believe that it's inevitable that he is going to have a front office role. Yeah, Um, I think that'd be great. Can you see him as a team president? I don't know how to look at a team president. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are the qual? What are the good qualities of a team president? Because what I know about John McDonough is fairly little. <laughs> like, personally, yeah. and like the way that he makes decisions is fairly little. I just know that he's the team president. Yeah. So, but guess we'll have to see. Um, yeah. No, another people uh, kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but I mean that brings up a lot of bunch of questions about the status of Bowman and Jeremy Carlton and this mm-hmm. coaching staff. Um, we all, everybody that listens to the show or anybody that knows me knows what my opinion is. So Tanner, I'll You're let in you. Love. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. What do you, theoretically, do you think this is the end of Bowman? Well, I think that if you're going to start at the top, you're going to end up cleaning house and, 
Like, I mean, do what you can with the players, but anybody that's going to get in that position probably is going to end up interviewing everybody that's already in positions just to see if they fit the role that they are looking forward. Like, if they have a plan, do they fit in this plan? And if they don't, it's easy enough to just be like, all right, well, you're no longer with us because you have no ties to anybody. You're brand new. But it's, I feel like it's a sign of like, I don't think Bowman's going to end up being here another like five years or even two years. Cause like that, unless all of a sudden whatever like happens and the Blackhawks start making the playoffs and like, they just didn't make that move. And it's like, all right, well, I guess he's chill now. Like whatever. I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't see him completing the 2021 season as our GM. Yeah. Unless I he just... completely fleeces somebody in a trade and we just get like stacked or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And then it goes back to with Jeremy Colleton too. Like I know we say it a lot. Like yeah. I feel so bad for that guy. Like he got thrown into a situation that he was not ready for. Oh, yeah. He 100% I think has the quality to be a great NHL coach and could be one of the best, but he just simply, you know, didn't have it yet. Um, need to develop a little bit longer. Fucking sirens, always. <laughs> <laughs> nobody stays inside. Can you stop, please? Right. Hurts of, uh, you know, living in Chicago. Yeah, huh? baby. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. But, yeah, right. I mean, like, one of the things I'm nervous about is, like, I don't want this to drag out and then – have it be a situation like in Minnesota where like the GM makes a bunch of moves that are stupid and you're like, what the fuck is happening? Like get him out of here. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want it to drag out and, and then have Bowman just be like, all right, fuck it. Like, same, thing uh, with New, same thing with New Jersey when they traded Taylor yeah. Hall, and they're like, Oh, that's all we got. And yeah. they're like, okay, now you're gone. Like, yeah. It's, I don't know. Like that's, that would be scary to me. It'd be like, Oh yeah, here you can have Kane. <laughs> Oh, we'll take a seventh rounder. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that they like? Do you think right now they're like, okay, Bowman, you got no say, nothing right now. You can't trade. You can't. <laughs> like he's, Bowman's just gonna like. He's texting other like GMs like, yo, you up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to make a trade? <laughs> but it's interesting too because the, the Chicago Bulls are literally doing the exact same thing right now. They fired their. They brought a new president. They're bringing a new GM and all that. Yep. They came out and said that it wasn't – the Blackhawks didn't make this move because of what the Bulls were doing, which, I, fi- you know, you figured it wasn't going to be the case. But it's kind of interesting that, you know, two teams that share the same arena and are kind of going through – I mean, the Bulls are a longer period of sucking. But yeah, kind of thing. It's just kind of really interesting that that's happening. But, hey, you know, gives us something to talk about during uh, this never-ending lockdown. So, yeah. So chill. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just – I want things to I – want, I want COVID to go down and I want the Blackhawks to go up. That's what yeah. I want. <laughs> <laughs> These are the kind of graphs I want, man. Uh, like, flat, flat in one curve and then fuck the other curve. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, just make the other one exponential. Like yeah. the dubs. Get those dubs, oh, baby. Yeah, and kind of – more, more of the same. They're like picking up talks about possibly playing again this year, but it's coming out that a lot of players are saying that if there is anything worth, they would have to be away from their families for the entire duration of it. That they're going to vote against it. Yeah, um, that was Philip Deneau. Yeah, 
and I, I I can see that. I mean, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's it's so weird. Still, I mean, every every time we talk about it, it's just yep, it's very strange. <laughs> like, and, they're, and they're talking, and then they're talking about they're prepared to start the next season in December. Get rid of All Star Game in the bye weeks. Um, well, the All Star Game is what I look forward to every year. It's yeah. the only game. Where is it about the Winter at- Classic? <laughs> Yeah, where's that even at this year, the All-Star uh, game? You mean the Winter Classic or the All-Star game? All-Star game. I don't know. Uh, Florida? <laughs> yeah, Minnesota's the... Oh, Carolina, the maybe? Carolina's a stadium series. Oh, fuck me, man. <laughs> but, I'm going to look it up, so give me a second. You yeah. say stuff. I will say stuff. Um, also <laughs> announced recently that they're officially following the NFL. It's in Florida. I was right. It's in Florida. Okay. Um, oh yeah because everybody's doing like the miami vice jerseys yes that's right yeah those those mock-ups that people have been doing online are amazing yeah um yeah they also announced that they're following the nfl lead and they're doing the draft virtually uh virtual sorry montreal um, yeah which it's a bummer because i might be an attempt to say his name because i'll butcher it Uh, yes is projected to go number one and that would have been in his home providence and people were jacked for it so yeah, um, that's a bummer. But can you imagine if he just didn't go number one, though? <laughs> can you imagine how awesome it's going to be when we screw Detroit and we get the first overall pick in the draft lottery oh, and we pick him up? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Bowman. <laughs> <laughs> if all right, market in this episode, episode ninety-eight. If both, if we end up getting the first overall pick in the draft lottery, I will take everything back from Bo- what I've said about Bowman. <laughs> that, I mean, that has nothing to do with whatever Bowman does. Exactly. It's completely luck. I know. Wait, say thank you. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so with that being said, let's uh, let's head on over to the interview. Um, this oh, hell is, yeah. Yeah, it was a great great talk with him, and uh, we really think you guys are gonna enjoy it. Um, make sure you visit uh, all his social media and his website, belfortspirits.com, Belfort Spirits on Facebook and Instagram. Um, this, he tells all the cool stuff on the website and some actually really cool stuff. Um, and it has a where to find find the whiskey at. And yeah, there's a there's a locator on there. Yeah, so definitely, cool. definitely check it out. And uh, we will uh, we'll see you on episode 99. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, love you. <laughs> love you, boys. See ya. So, to say that we have a special guest today might be the biggest undersell in the history of this show. Uh, today, we are joined by a NCAA national champion with North Dakota, 1999 Stanley Cup champion with the Dallas Stars, 2002 Olympic gold medalist with Team Canada. He's a Calder Trophy winner, two-time Vesna winner, four-time Jennings winner, fourth most wins in NHL history with 484, and he's also the 2011 Hall of, Fam- uh, Hall of Famer the Eagle himself, Ed Belfour. Ed, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate um, it. Uh, how you, how, yeah, how are you? Uh, how you hanging? How you hanging in there right now with uh, with uh, COVID and all that stuff going on? Yeah, I stay busy. Um, I've always worked from home uh, since the end of my career, so it hasn't changed a lot for me, other than um, you know not getting the opportunity to go out for some nice dinners and and go to the movies once in a while. So uh, uh, I work from home and I stay busy uh, with our, our business and um, uh, try to work out every day and, you know, just uh, 
keep myself occupied. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that you're staying safe out there. Um, so, you know, we'll just start off. We'll start kind of start at the beginning. Um, so you went undrafted, but then you decided to sign with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, what was it about Chicago and the, and the organization that uh, made you decide that this would be a good place to start your career? Yeah, so growing up in Canada, uh, back in the uh, 70s, I was born in 65. Uh, so we had the original six back then. And um, we, where I grew up, we only had three TV stations to watch on television, uh, black and white. And uh, uh, I know some of you people are probably laughing pretty hard at this, but uh, yeah, we only had three, three channels to choose from. And on every Saturday night, uh, most Canadian families would gather around their TV and watch Hockey Night in Canada. And uh, so my favorite team back then as a kid was the Chicago Blackhawks. And my favorite players were Tony Esposito, Stan Makita, and Bobby Hall. And my mom's favorite team was uh, the Maple Leafs, and my dad's was the Canadians. So we always had a good rivalry going <laughs> in the house. And um, so, you know, just I always wanted to be a Blackhawk. And, I mean, not many kids get to fulfill uh, the dream of actually playing in the NHL, but, you know, getting to play on your favorite team even more so. So I was so lucky and blessed to, to be able to start my career with the Blackhawks. I can only imagine that, uh, that when you got to put that pen to that paper for that contract, it was a little surreal for you. Yeah, it sure was. Um, I didn't even, even make my high school hockey team back in Carmen, Manitoba. And, uh, you know, through some, uh, a bit of a fortune and luck and a lot of help from teachers, uh, you know, they helped me get through school and get my SATs in order and uh, ended up uh, playing on the high school championship team for uh, uh, the Carmen Cougars, uh, which kind of uh, gave me the opportunity to get a chance to play for the Winkler Flyers in the uh, Manitoba Junior Hockey League. It's a tier two junior. And that allows you to get scholarships to the U.S. Uh, the University of North Dakota was only two and a half hours away from where I grew up in Manitoba. So I wanted to play for the Fighting Sioux. And um, I went there as a 21-year-old freshman. So very late bloomer. Uh, played three years of Tier 2 undrafted. Uh, nobody really knew who I was because, you know, in Manitoba, it wasn't scouted that much. And, and I don't think it was, it was given... Um, much thought is a very competitive uh, league, uh, which that's not the case. It was very competitive, very tough to play in. Uh, maybe didn't have the most skill um, in in all of uh, junior hockey, but it was a good place for me to start. And uh, fortunately, the University of North Dakota offered me a scholarship and uh, went from Winkler to North Dakota in 1986-87. I was part of the the Fighting Sioux, and we won uh, the NCAA championship that year. Um, as a freshman, I played half the games and played uh, all the playoff games. We were 40 wins, eight losses, and they called our team the dream team. So I'm very proud Jeez. of that fact. <laughs> and uh, I was a free agent, and, and that was when I got my chance to uh, sign with the Blackhawks. So yeah. that's how it all started. That's, that's, that's such a great start. Like, not very many players you see get that at all. But uh... – it's amazing that you got that opportunity, and we're really glad that that happened for us too. Um, I noticed that when you started, like, finally started uh, starting games in Chicago, your in your first four years, you played almost almost like every game to a point where 
it was like 74 games in one season and then like 71 and 70. And that's not something you really see much anymore with the current NHL. Like, do you, were at any point, were you just feeling completely gassed or were you always just extremely excited to be playing the NHL and getting that opportunity to just take on every single game that you possibly can? Yeah, I was always very excited. I wanted to play every game. Uh, came from a, a, you know, a background of uh, playing a lot of sports and always working out. And uh, part of my training regimen back then was doing triathlon. So I was in uh, really good shape. And Keenan, Mike Keenan, our, our coach there in uh, Chicago, uh, and Daryl Sutter, they, they really pushed us. Uh, E.J. McGuire, uh, he was a great runner. He would always do all our track uh, workouts and you know they all pushed us really hard to be in great shape and um, you know so it went right along with uh, my philosophy about the game and um, I think it really helped me be able to play that many games uh, now mind you playing that many games you have to take advantage of the times uh, for uh, naps and rest and I remember uh, you know getting on buses and getting on airplanes and I'd be falling asleep in like you know minutes so uh you know, you had to you had to really work at uh, you know getting your rest, proper nutrition, and uh, there were times that uh, I was tired, and you know you just learn how to uh, get around those times and, and figure out you know how to play your best. So you have to always be your best on the ice, and um, you know as my career went on, uh, I didn't play in the 70s anymore, but still played in the 60s, and um, you know it was still that's a lot of games. For, Nowadays, the seems like the schedule is pretty condensed, uh, so probably pretty tough for those guys to play that many games. Uh, you know, they don't get as much time to rest as as we did. Um, I remember there were times between games there was uh, sometimes four days, and um, four days is a lot. You know, nowadays, you know, they they don't get hardly any days. You know, so usually one and a half. Yeah. So. So, yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, playing for Mike Keenan. Um, you know, he's kind of got, like, this, you know, reputation around the league, and a lot of players have different opinions of him. Um, how was he, How was he like, in, when you played for him, or, like, what was your, like, overall opinion of him? Well, I love Mike. He gave me my opportunity to be in the NHL, and uh, he played me all those games and, you know, really gave me my start um, in – I'm uh, very thankful for for that, and uh, there were some tough times, of course. You know, Mike was a, uh, a pretty tough coach, rigid, and um, he expected things to be a certain way, and, uh, you know, sometimes he'd, he'd push you, and, and sometimes he'd push you a little hard, and, you know, I'd push back a little bit, but uh, our goals were the same. We, we wanted to win every game and do whatever it takes to win, and so you know, I would have done anything and, and I tried to do whatever I could, you know, if he, whatever he asked. So, uh, you know, we're still good friends, uh, always happy to see him and always wish him the best of luck wherever he's at. Uh, any, do you have any particular like uh, favorite memories from your time in Chicago? Well, I think uh, for me is, you know, just every time you go to the arena and get a chance to sit in, in the stands and, and, you know, look up in the rafters at all the banners and, and um, I got to be there the night. Uh, I just so happened to be called up that few games. And, and that night I was there when they put uh, Bobby Hall, 
Dan Makita, Glenn Hall, and Tony Esposito's jerseys up in the rafters. I was on the bench. They were out there at center ice with their wives, and they're all dressed up in their suits and beautiful dresses. And I just, I remember sitting on the bench, just being in awe and having tears in my eyes. And and, and I was so lucky to be part of that. Um, that was definitely one of my favorite memories. And of course, the national anthem. <laughs> you couldn't beat <laughs> the national. Anthem. Oh, you know, that's such a good amazing. one. Yeah. And you, uh, you had Tretiak as a as a goalie mentor while you're in Chicago, and. We know that you uh, ended up taking the number 20 when, when you ended up going to San Jose. Um, can you just talk about like how, how much of a mentor he was to you and like what it meant to, like how much it meant to you because you ended up did like changing your number. Yeah. So uh, growing up in Canada again, uh, the summit series of 1972 was the first time the, all the NHL all-stars uh, played against uh, the red army Russian team. Uh, which those guys had played together since they were five, six years old. They were the best of the best, and they had played together uh, so many tournaments and, and, and won so many world championships. Uh, you know, this was to see who had the best hockey players in the world. And, um, you know, if, if you remember, uh, the Russian team was, was beating uh, Team Canada quite badly in the beginning. And... Uh, you know, it took a lot of grit to, to come back, but we, we ended up coming back and winning that Summit Series uh, with Paul Henderson's famous goal. Uh, but Trechak was the, the goalie for the, the Red Army team, and he was amazing. And, uh, you know, he was only, I think, 19 or 20 years old at that time, but, you know, touted as the best goalie in the world. And so, you know, back then when us kids were playing street hockey and floor hockey and stuff, and, if you were going to play goal for me, I was going to be, you know, Tony Esposito or Rogie Vachon. Uh, you know, those were my favorites. And, and then Vladislav Trechak. So, you know, even though it was a, it was a, back then, you know, most uh, people didn't like the Russians, but we respected their hockey talents because of that 72 Summit Series and all their world championships. So Trechak being the goalie and, um, we just all respected him. And then when I was uh, in the minors with the Blackhawks, I was uh, sent to the minors playing for Team Canada, actually, the, my third year in the minors, and traveled around the, the world and got to play in different tournaments in, in different countries. And uh, one of the tours was uh, in Canada playing against a Russian team, and Trechak was there on that tour. And I was so excited to get the opportunity to play in front of Vladislav. I just knew, you know, I wanted to play my best game. And first time he saw me play, I think I had like 40-some shots, and, and we won two to one. And he came into the room, locker room after the game and shook my hand. You know, he couldn't speak very good English, but he's like, good game. And I was just <laughs> like, <laughs> in awe, you know. And uh, so were the guys in the locker room. You know, they, they knew who he was. And he was just like one of the – the best hockey ambassadors. He shook all of our hands and, you know, he just congratulated us. And, and then it turns out that uh, Mike Keenan hired him about, you know, two months later and he's uh, the goalie coach in, in Chicago. So, you know, how lucky was I to get to play in front of him, you know, show him what I could do. And then he became our goalie coach and uh, he didn't speak hardly any English <laughs> at the beginning. Um, so we had to have an interpreter on, on the ice with us. And um, here's how good he was. He put on the pads a couple times with us 
uh, for the Blackhawks practices, and nobody could score him. And, and Keenan was like, "We need to sign him up." <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's a good thing he turned it down. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have had a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially like at that time, he's like in his later thirties at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. I think, yeah, he still could play. Yeah. Uh, so let's. Uh, this is one question that always gets brought up when I know when we talk about you. I don't know if you get asked this a lot, but you have probably the most iconic goalie mask in not even NHL history and hockey history. Um, when you when you got that eagle mask or decided on that eagle mask, did you know it was going to leave this like lat long legacy with it? No, no, not at all. And um, you know, I was just fortunate enough to to get one of those masks. You know, back back in those days, you know, not all of us got to get a, a nice uh, custom made mask. We all started out with helmets, hockey helmets with uh, screens on them, and they weren't very protective. Um, so I was given the opportunity to speak with Greg Harrison. He was the goalie mask maker back in that day. He's out of Toronto. And I asked him to put a mean looking bird on the mask and he chose an eagle. And then um, Mike Keenan, you know, ever since I got that mask, he started calling me Eddie the Eagle and it just stuck. And, um, you know, the mask evolved into, uh, you know, different versions and different colors. And it was a lot of fun working on the mask and, I enjoyed the art side of it and, you know, hiding the uh, eagle and the feathers. And um, it was just uh, very fun, but not expected. Yeah, it's an amazing mask. I, I love that the, the eagle kind of evolved with the mask as well, going a little bit more realistic at times and some some cartoonish at sometimes. Um, but I wanted to just, uh, before we like finish talking about the hockey playing career, we just wanted to talk about the, the Stanley Cup that you won and how it was ended up being like the longest game in playoff history for a cup clincher and just like kind of like wanted to pick your brain on like what what was going through your head is like you're in overtime and the first overtime ends and then the second one ends and then you're heading into the third one like what was what was just kind of going through your head there yeah so you know being a veteran I've, I've been in quite a few overtime games and you just try to stay focused on on the puck and the next save, you, you try not to play the clock or the scoreboard at all. Uh, you know, don't let the fans get in your head and you just stay focused and, and just treat it like any other game. And, you know, ever since I was four or five years old, we've, we've been playing for the Stanley cup, you know, on the streets and floor hockey, river hockey, pond hockey, it was always for the cup. And, you know, you'd always pretend you were in, you know, double, triple overtime game seven, for the Stanley Cup. So, you know, I just tried to tell myself it's just another one of those pond hockey games and, you know, stay calm and just stay focused and, uh, you know, try not to get overwhelmed by anything. Um, you know, the team was playing great. I was on my game that game. And, um, you know, guys were getting IVs in between periods and trying to do whatever they could to get nutrition uh, for energy. Um, myself what worked for me was a milkshake uh, oh, we had one of one of our trainers run upstairs and make me a milkshake run back down really quickly and I slurped that down and you know that that's what gave me a lot of energy for that third overtime and and it came through for me like I, I felt great again it was like it, I was totally rejuvenated and um, I just kept focused on the puck and that's that's what you got to do is just focus on your job 
don't think about the outcome. Don't think about the Stanley Cup being in the house and you know, you know it's there, but you just can't you can't think about any of that. How um, good it was an amazing amazing moment, you know, when when Brett scored the goal. Yeah. And um you know, I was I was delayed in my reaction because I you know couldn't see for sure and I was just you know, didn't want to look like an idiot and skate down there and then there's no goal. <laughs> So, That's pretty great. Yeah, it was it was amazing. A dream come true. Some I'll never forget. How how good was it that feeling it when you get handed the cup and just the, lift it over your head? Yeah, there's there's only maybe one other feeling like that, and that's uh, the birth of your children. And uh, you know, okay. it's it's an amazing moment that you've worked for since, you know, like four or five years old, played for it, you know, and all the street hockey games and, and you get handed that cup and it's an amazing, uh, incredible, epic moment. And, you know, I just screamed at the you know top of my voice and, um, and just, I, I, and I think I screamed like that for a while. So, <laughs> and, we, and we, and we were all doing it. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, those are moments and, and, people that you you'll never forget for the rest of your life so you got you got stanley cup and and having your having your children up there pretty high up well where do, where does like getting the call that you're elected into the hockey hall of fame kind of end up on that list of excitement well that's definitely exciting but at the same time is for me um you know being part of of the uh sweater uh banners uh for uh my favorite players being put up in the Chicago stadium. Um, I honestly didn't know a lot about the hockey hall of fame. Uh, but when I got the call, I was totally surprised and, and just honored. Um, you know, you don't realize what it means or I didn't at that moment. Uh, but once I got to Toronto and I, you know, was, was met at the airport, uh, chauffeured to, uh, the Air Canada Center and, and you just like all of a sudden you're like overwhelmed like you didn't realize like how big of a, a weekend this was and is and just because I'd never been part of any kind of Hockey Hall of Fame event before I never never saw one on TV um, you know I knew how important it was to players but I just did not realize you know the the grand weekend that they put on for all the the, um, the guys being inducted and, and girls being inducted uh, and, and the former players that show up for it. And it's, it's just like uh, an amazing weekend, the Hockey Hall of Fame and the NHL put on together and so much fun. Um, you get to, to meet a lot of the players that you grew up watching that you, you didn't meet and um, you know, you get to shake their hands and be a part of the group. And I mean, just like I said, a little bit overwhelming. And then, you know, you get up and you got to say your speech. Um, and I had a speech all written out ahead of time. And it probably would have lasted about 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes even up there talking. And then they tell us uh, the day, I think it was the day before they tell us, oh, and by the way, you guys, uh, you only have five minutes to talk. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh. I had this whole big speech written and, 
I had to shorten it down to five minutes. So there were a lot of people that I wanted to thank uh, that I didn't. And um, that was kind of a shame. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't expect that part, but uh, you know, when, when it comes to TV and stuff, I get it. Uh, but there were so many people that help you along the way, um, you know, that help you get to the each and every step along the way, like playing junior hockey and then playing for the fighting Sioux and then, you know, turning pro, um, you know, you don't get, you don't get to do that all by yourself. It just doesn't happen that way. I mean, some guys may, but I don't think so. Uh, you know, I thank all those people and, and, um, you know, having my name, uh, be one of the first ballots. I, I think at the time there was only 20 some players that were first balloters and, uh, you know, that's even another huge honor. So and what's even it more impressive, right what's even more impressive too, is that you are one of seven undrafted players to get into the, the hall of fame as well. Wow. Wow. That's, I didn't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing some looking yeah. up some stats and everything, and I thought that was pr- that was pretty noteworthy. I was like, "That's pretty amazing." <laughs> yeah, wow, that's great. Well, you know, like I said, I'm just I'm very honored, very thankful, and uh, proud for sure. So you go from one absolutely amazing career. Now you're on to um, another one. Um, you started up Belfort Spirits. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and kind of like how it got started and you know where it came from? Yeah, so my son, Dane, uh, who's 30 years old now, uh, he was also a goalie. And um, his career ended uh, um, just after mine did. And we were trying to figure out something that we could do together as a family business. And uh, we started researching different business opportunities. And, you know, we, we started looking into the vodka business. And at the time, there were a lot of companies. So that market was pretty saturated. We started looking into brown spirits, uh, rum and whiskey, and um, it turned out that the whiskey market was uh, just starting to take off. This is about six, seven years ago, and um, we decided, you know what, let's order a still. Let's start making some whiskey and, and see if we're good at it. So we ordered a still and um, um, quickly found out that it was highly illegal for us to make our own whiskey at home even, and uh, we decided, well, we better do it the right way uh, so I don't get deported from the U.S. and uh, <laughs> kicked out of the country. Um, but anyway, we went to school. We learned how to make the juice. Uh, we learned all of the uh, legalities of whiskey making, spirits making. And um, uh, our first school was in uh, Kelowna, B.C. Uh, we learned a lot there. Uh, and then we went to Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky, learned even more. And we met a lot of people in the business who, again, uh, like anything, um, if you want to be successful, um, you know, it's good to, to surround yourself with, you know, experienced and um, knowledgeable people. And we met a lot of those type of people at Moonshine University. Uh, we still, uh, you know, consult with uh, uh three different people from that, that school. And um, we started uh, making our whiskey. We, now we have approximately 2,300 barrels aging. Uh, we, we got on the shelves uh, in October of last year, uh, late October, I think it was November of last year. And so we have our uh, Texas pecan bourbon. It's a very smooth bourbon. 
92 proof, very easy to drink. We want to have all our products uh, very easy and smooth uh, with good flavor, character, good aromas. Our regular rye whiskey, um, it won awards already. So did our straight rye whiskey, uh, limited edition. Uh, that particular product is the one with the chalice on top of it. And uh, we only made 12 barrels of it. And Dane made those 12 barrels himself while he was doing an internship at Woody Creek Distillery. Uh, it's in Basalt, Colorado. We're very thankful to the folks there at Woody Creek for giving Dane the opportunity to come in there and uh, get some experience. And he made those first 12 barrels and the whiskey turned out uh, just uh, an amazing. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, Dane called me, if I remember right, he filled the last barrel and he was sipping on the white dog and, and he was like, dad, it's amazing. It, it just smells great. It tastes great. And he was crying and he was so you know emotional about filling that last barrel. Just like a and, baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. So it's his baby. And, and so we're so proud of those. Uh, there's only about 26, 2,700 bottles total. Um, and that's the one with the chalice on top. Well, as a, as a former goalie myself and a current bartender, it, it definitely piques my interest when I, when I hear about the whiskey that you have. And I'm just uh, out of curiosity, like, do you have any plans of any other whiskeys in the future? Maybe one with like a larger or like a longer age statement or anything that's more of like a cast strength at all that you know about? Yeah, so um, uh, as, as we grow, um, our whiskeys are growing and aging. And um, we're always, or I'm always working on new, new projects, new formulas, um, new barrel projects to uh, age the whiskeys. Uh, right now, uh, we do have some cast strength stuff that's coming nice. along just fabulous. So we will eventually have um, what I like to, to classify as a, a top cast strength whiskey, some, something like the Elijah Craig cast strength. Like that's one okay, of my yeah. favorites. It's uh, like anywhere from, I think, 127 proof all the way up to 135 proof, some of it. Um, you know, you can only put it in the barrel at 125 proof, but where it ages depends on whether the proof goes up or down. So uh, if you're aging it in a dry area, um, you know, where the humidity is really low, then your proof is going to go up. Uh, if you're aging it in an area where the humidity is high, then your proof is going to go down. So our plan is uh, when we get our distillery built in Kentucky, uh, nice. we're going to have a special aging room where we can control the, the temperature and the humidity. And um, that will allow us to, uh, you know, age our, our, you know, small batch uh, cast strength stuff or small batch uh, programs and we'll be able to control a little bit of the temperature and humidity, which will, you know, give us a little bit more of those higher proof points, which I, I think those are, you know, they're an interesting topic and, and the whiskey yeah. tastes even better at those higher proofs. So That's yeah, we do have some special products coming in the future. Uh, we're hoping to come out with uh, uh, our straight bourbon here pretty soon. Uh, it's just over two years old. Um, we're hoping to have it on the market possibly later this summer. Nice. And um, uh, the cast strength won't be for a little while. We're going to let it age a little longer. And uh, we're, lo we're looking at um, 
when we open our distillery, we're hoping that we'll have two other brands uh, to go along with the Belfour brand. We'll make all all that whiskey out of our distillery, and um, you know, just like some of the the larger uh, distilleries in Kentucky, you know, they have multiple brands. Um, our plan is to have three total brands. That's, That's awesome. Great. Um, so where uh, where can people uh, find find your your whiskey right now? Yeah, so right now uh, we're in Illinois. We started there. Uh, we're in Texas. Um, we're in North Dakota, South Dakota. Uh, we're going to be in Missouri here pretty soon. Uh, Tennessee pretty soon. Uh, we're looking at uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, uh, Kentucky, and um, we're going to be in Arizona here pretty soon, and later this year in Canada. Uh, next year, we're, we're hoping to open in the neighborhood of eight to ten more states. Um, you know, you try to open as many as you can, but we only have so many uh, uh, team members right now, right, right now on our, our team. And we have 10, uh, 10 of us that have to do all these States. So you, you just, we don't have as enough people and it just takes a little time to, to get eventually where we want to go all across North America. And then from there, we want to go to different countries. Awesome. And now uh, what's, what's your guys' website? Just so uh, people can, you know, can learn a little bit more about you guys. Yeah, BelfourSpirits.com. Um, we're also on Facebook, um, Instagram. And so, yeah, just check us out. We, we have some interesting stories on there. We have a, um, a Legends page where I had the opportunity to uh, interview Glenn Hall, a famous Ooh. Blackhawk goalie. Wow. Nice. Um, I was at a uh, Kinsman event um, a few months back before the corona hit and um, it was in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan and they had five uh, Hall of Famers come in. Glenn Hall, um, Grant Fear, um, Marty Brodeur, Bernie Prant and myself. Oh wow! And uh, we spent the weekend there and uh, just had so much fun with those guys and uh, there was like I think 750 people showed up for the Kinsman dinner and you know they helped raise money for all the uh, local charities and local hockey and, um, you know, really promote, um, you know, youth sports and youth hockey there. And, and that the Kinsmen, you know, they're a great group. They're all across Canada. Um, you know, they helped pay for a lot of my hockey equipment when I was a kid and, and all my goalie equipment. So a great group. Um, and I got to interview uh, Glenn Hall while I was there. He's our, our, our first um, legend that said, we got the interview and I did the interview myself. So that was, that was a lot of fun. So you go to belfourspirits.com and, and check out the interview uh, with Glenn Hall. Yeah. We will put uh, the links to all that too. And all the description, our social media for this as well. Um, so we're at our, you know, time limit here. Um, before I let you go, um, I do got to ask you a question here. We have a mutual friend um, in Dave O'Connor and for anybody listening that don't that isn't from the south side of Chicago, um, he is just an absolute local legend. You know, shows up to the local rinks playing rad hockey like it's game seven, ready to go. Do you have any uh, any story that you may be able to share with us to you know to kind of help grow his legend a little bit more? Well, Dave, um, he's first off, he's a he's a, a wonderful, uh, loyal friend. Um, you know, he's always helped. 
myself and, and uh, my kids and, and the Belfort family, any of my friends were, were his friends. You know, he, uh, he's always been a huge supporter of anything we did. And um, I, I always thought of him as uh, my personal bodyguard. You know, he'd always go with me places and look out for me. And, you know, he's pretty scrappy too. Like he may not look like much, but you want to mess with Dave, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and uh, he, he's got a pretty mean slap shot too. So uh, had a chance to play some shinny games with him in Southside there. And I'm like, hey, Dave, why don't you just drop it down a few notches? Like he's so intense. <laughs> um, my first experience yeah, I was like maybe 14, 15 years old at, uh, at the rat hockey and I go in the corner and all of a sudden I just get tossed and I look up and he just always says, keep your head up kid. And just skates away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> that's amazing. I love him. <laughs> well, uh, Ed, thank you so much for uh, taking the time uh, to talk with us. Um, absolutely amazing stories. You know, we are big fans of your career, you know, growing up in Chicago, um, watching you, you play um, in the 90s with us. It's a shame you couldn't uh, win here and, you know, stay with the Hawks longer. But I'm very glad that I grew up watching you play. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and wish you the best of luck with uh, Belfort Spirits and um, stay safe out there. It's been quite a pleasure. Yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys, and and, and check out Garfield's and uh, you know they're they're carrying our stuff and and Kenwood's yeah. also and uh, Benny's Benny's um, you know uh, I've been trying to look up the closest be... one for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't have it at all the Benny's, but um, yeah. you know you can go go in there and and tell them you want Belfour Spirits and tell them they need to carry it. That'd be uh, very helpful for us. Thanks, thanks so much for having me today, guys. Hey, oh, thanks thank, again. Thank you so much. Pleasure's all on this side. <laughs> yep. Take care. You as well, though. The Windy City Benders Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And follow the boys on socials at WCB Podcast. <laughs>